0: Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, the original additive manufacturing podcast and your source for news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host Sam Davis and today I'm bringing you the latest instalment of our Innovators on Innovators series. This time Victoria Sears, a senior engineer at Mayo Clinic, catches up with Nicole McMinn, a biomedical engineer at Walter Reed National Military Medical Centre. The pair met while at an industry conference back in 2021 and found common ground as young engineers relatively new to the field of healthcare 3D printing. Throughout this podcast, the pair touch on their introductions to 3D printing, while also detailing their respective workflows, discussing their favourite projects, and outlining why VAT photopolymerisation is the most used 3D printing process in their labs. They also share their advice for young engineers coming into the additive manufacturing industry. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more Additive Insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly Additive Insight newsletter for free.
1: Nikki, I think we met in 2021 at Arsene, which is hard to believe that It was a couple years ago because it feels like we, I don't know, just yesterday.
0: Um, mm-hmm. I
1: remember seeing you on stage with a lot of the other like key players in medical, out of manufacturing, and I was inspired to see another young woman up on the stage. So um, I know we connected, I think, after your talk and whatnot, and it was super,
2: uh, uh, like, I think we connected right away <laughs> yes definitely yeah I think so too I think it we also are both uh almost uh, underneath folks that have been in the field for a long time and are very well known within medical 3d printing in particular so I think we also bonded over that of having some giants in the field that are our managers or co-workers even so it was nice to yeah somebody who was I remember you were also fairly new to the field and presenting as well at that conference. And I thought it was really inspiring that they asked so many people that are new to the field to be involved and give a presentation at a conference, along with all the folks that have been doing this for a long time. Yes, yeah, it's almost
1: like a, hopefully like a turn of the new era, <laughs> you know, <laughs>
2: Yeah, and I can start with an intro about myself. So I'm Nikki McMinn. I'm a biomedical engineer at the 3D Medical Applications Center, and we're located at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, so part of the Department of Defense. And my bachelor's and master's degrees are both in mechanical engineering, actually. And I worked as a research fellow at the FDA in the Center for Devices and Radiological Health when I first graduated with my bachelor's degree. I did a little bit of 3D printing for that research project, mostly uh, 3D printing designs that I had come up and working on design iteration that way and prototyping. And then I transitioned to being a lead reviewer on the pre-market side in the office of orthopedic devices. And I did that for about five years before coming over to the 3D Medical Applications Center And I have been here ever since mid-2020. And besides being the biomedical engineer in the lab, I also am working primarily on building out and implementing our quality management system.
1: Super fascinating. I also didn't realize that you did your master's before kind of pursuing an industry as well. Um, I did the same thing. But I was just uh, wondering, is there a a reason for that? Did you... um... You just wanted to continue your schooling right away? or
2: I actually took a break for about a year um, and worked in research at the FDA. I didn't really know what I wanted to get my master's in. I just knew, or PhD, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I just, I knew I did want to continue my schooling, but I did a part-time program while I was at the FDA. I started working and didn't really want to quit work to do full-time school, but I believe you did. It sounds like you went straight through. I did, yeah. So I did both of my undergraduate and
1: um, graduate studies in bioengineering at the University of Michigan um with my master's having a concentration in developing a hydrogel for bioprinting applications. Um the reason I did it straight through is that I had a fantastic opportunities opportunity from one of my um, professors she was just recently acquiring a bioprinter, and I knew that was something I was super fascinated with at that time and she was um very supportive of me you know doing my master's um project um centered around that and really you know bringing that bioprinting or printer to um you know uh, fully operational, trying to be the first to develop a hydrodel to be able to be printed, um, just, you know, really um, bringing that to through fruition. Um, so that's why I went straight through. I you know I did contemplate, you know, going into industry for a little bit as well, but um, that's how my story came about. Um, but kind of also where I um, how did I even like get to the bioprinting, even knowing about bioprinting? So my first introduction to additive manufacturing was actually at Ford Motor Company, which obviously is very far off from you know the medical device industry. But I was able to have an internship there where I worked um, with material development for additive manufacturing. Um, I worked on developing and manufacturing cellul- cellulose reinforced uh, polypropylene filaments for material extrusion. Um, It was supposed to be a little bit more cost-effective way to maybe prototype um, some parts. Um, But through that, I had no idea what 3D printing was before that internship. And once I got into that, I kind of did some research and saw, like, the medical field was starting to um, get involved a little bit more. It was starting to be a little bit more advertised and, um, you know, very, um, like... Commercialize with uh, posts and whatnot, saying you know, oh, you can do 3D printing at the point of care to really help patients and um, help physicians, you know, come up with the best uh, care plan for them to um, recover. Um, So from there, though, um, I did become an industry intern supporting SME's Medical Additive Manufacturing Work Group, and then um, through that, I just became involved with a lot of people in the industry and was able to. Um, fortunate enough to have a biomedical engineering internship at 3D Systems, where I really had my first exposure to virtual surgical planning, uh, 3D printing of medical devices, and quality control and whatnot. Um, so, to um, summarize, then I, you know, ended up at Mayo Clinic, which is amazing. I'm a senior engineer um, at the Mayo, in, or at Mayo Clinic at the Anatomic Modeling Unit. Um, we work to develop unique solutions to um, for cl- clinical challenges utilizing additive manufacturing technologies. We're primarily focused on pod- of point-of-care manufacturing, which refers to the just-in-time creation of diagnostic models and medical devices based off of patient imaging.
2: That's really cool. So you have quite the 3D printing background then, yeah. which I, I think it's interesting talking to people in this field, how they got their whether they did have quite like you, like quite an extensive background in 3D printing. And even though you didn't find out about it until maybe a little later in undergrad, like at least being exposed to that and from the automotive side as, as well as the medical side. Uh, and then you have, I did a bit, like I said, at my internship uh, or my research fellowship at FDA and worked with the 3D printing expert, subject matter experts there, but really didn't do much with 3d printing while i was a reviewer and then came over here so i guess all that to say there's a lot of different ways to get into the field and you don't necessarily have to have quite as extensive 3d printing background to get into medical 3d printing
1: yeah definitely i definitely i think we we wear many hats in this little industry so i think you know there's
2: definitely many pathways that you
1: can get into it
2: I think we want to move on next to talk about what a typical workflow looks like, uh, just because medical 3D printing is a bit different from, or might be different than some other uh, 3D printing uh, industry specialties. And so, usually, and I, I at least can speak on on my side at 3D uh, Medical Applications Center at Walter Reed National Military Center, Military Medical Center. And so what we usually will do is we'll start with a patient scan, whether that's CT or MRI, and we will segment that scan, which essentially means that you will isolate areas of interest to clean up the scan if needed, and then send it to the 3D printer. We also will make prosthetic components or simulation models, and those generally will start with some type of CAD modeling that happens first and then they're sent to the 3D printers. Uh, I don't know, Tori, if that's similar to what you all do at, at Mayo. Yeah, yeah. We do I every
1: mean, all so uh, as I mentioned, like most of our work is the the point of care like clinical work really helping with um um, the physicians with whatever um, patient they're currently seeing, but we do also, you know, work on simulation and task trainers, which is also derived from usually um, some sort of um, radiologic um, imaging and 3D printed CAD model.
2: And as for types of 3D printing technologies, at 3D Medical Application Center, we have four of the generally accepted seven additive manufacturing technologies. We have printers that use that photopolymerization, material extrusion, material jetting, and powder bed fusion. So we do have two metal 3D printers at our facility, which I think is unique to the medical at point-of-care 3D printing, at least. I think there's only a few other hospitals in the U.S. that have metal 3D printers in-house, um, but that gives us a lot of variety and ability to do a lot of different things, having metal and polymer 3D printers at our center. Um, at the
1: anatomic modeling unit, we have five of the seven technologies. Um, I think the only additional one to add on to your list would be binder jetting. I don't believe you said that, right? Um, so, that would be a little bit unique. It's the gypsum powder um, type one, and we use this for a lot for like surgical rehearsal for orthopedic applications. Um, but we at, um, at Mayo Clinic, we have um, a metal printer at the Division of Engineering, but at the Anatomic Modeling Unit, we don't um, currently use it, uh, but it, we do have, have that in-house. But is there um, anything that you have found that uh, you're, you're tending to use the metal, uh, metal additive manufacturing equipment quite a bit for?
2: We use it mostly for prosthetic components, and then we do make some custom implants here as well. And so just because the metal materials are generally more uh, hospitable to the uh, human body and uh, better for implantation, so we, we will use those printers for implants, and then prosthetic components, because it provides the structural integrity that you need compared to polymer materials, especially when you have a prosthetic component that is load-bearing. That's generally uh, when we will use the metal printer. And do you want to talk, Tori, about what your day-to-day life in the anatomic modeling unit looks like and how many people are in your group?
1: Yeah. Uh Yeah. So I I do feel like my day-to-day varies based on the day you're having, you know, one day you can go in with a plan, but, you know, being at the point of care inside the hospital, you never know what type of physician is going to come through the door and maybe that um, patient that they're coming in about, they have surgery in a couple of days, Um, you know, because Mayo is a destination, a medical center. So we will see people that are, you know, might fly in on Monday and leaving, um, Thursday, because their surgery is Wednesday. So, often we have to work, you know, based on those um, unpredicted uh, interruptions to our day-to-day. But for the most part, you know, um, I really, we work on, you know, the clinical cases first. We assess, you know, based on surgery date, what's the most important Um, and then go from there. If there's any extra time in the day, then we'll work on those non-clinical projects such as the simulation trainers or um, any sort of retroengineering things we need to do for uh, maybe replacements around the hospital. Like if, um, for instance, for an x-ray machine, a battery cover was lost and in order to replace that, it's like $3,000. So we're able to retroengineer that just to, you know, um, provide a cheap and very fast and efficient way to get that x-ray machine back in into operation. Um, So that's kind of our day-to-day.
2: Sounds like a lot, especially with your patients coming in with that fast of a turnaround pretty routinely, I'm sure, especially because people are, you may, you see a lot of the really complicated cases that probably benefit from using Medical 3D printing and having medical and anatomic models for the surgical team to plan the surgery.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot. And I'll say also, so I I am the lead of the cranial maxillofacial um, surgeries of doing the virtual planning and the device design creation. So I do do a lot of that. Um, it takes a lot of effort to you know virtually. Uh, plan the surgeries and then you know pass it by the surgeon and then create that device in order to help them facilitate that plan in the operating room. Um, It is a lot of effort but you know we're always willing to you know stay late and work you know extra hours for any of those rush cases that are coming in. So is your how does your day-to-day sound a little bit different maybe a little less rushed?
2: Yeah, we generally don't have quite the same rush as you do. I think part of that is because we we provide medical um, te- um sorry we provide 3D printing services to the entire DoD and even the uh, Veterans Health Administration facilities. Uh, but we there are seven of us here. We have an administrator, our director of services is a biomedical engineer i'm the the other biomedical engineer we have a quality engineer and then we have uh three engineering techs two of which were former ct technicians so they're very skilled with uh, segmented anatomy and then we have a dental tech we do a lot of dental cases here i think partly we are across from the naval postgraduate dental school so they know we exist and know we can provide them with uh, 3d printed models but Yeah, we do. We're able to spread our work out a little bit more, but patient care always comes first. If there is a rush case, you drop everything else you're doing and take care of that rush case and get it printed as quickly as possible. But right now, um, myself and our quality engineer have mostly been focusing on building our quality management system. So when cases are not coming in, we are spending a lot of time doing that. And because we're trying to become a medical device manufacturer and register with the FDA so that we can then market a lot of our medical devices that we are making right now. And yeah, but we mostly it sounds similar to your day, maybe not quite as hectic and drop everything, but it is fun to be able to, it's really rewarding, I should say, to work on patient cases and know that you're providing a service to the providers and the, the care team for that patient that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. Or if they did have access to it, it would take a long time to get that product in-house uh, because third parties uh, manufacturers that do make these, and there are quite a few in the field, but you know, they're not on site, and it might take longer to get that product. It might be more expensive because you have to pay out of pocket. And I guess that's, you know, I think we are both, you know, on-site point-of-care 3D printing facilities. And do you wanna talk a bit about some of the pros and cons of working on-site versus going through a third party and uh, the benefits of having us be directly involved with the care team? And I know you've spoken at conferences that you get to actually, or have been able to be in the OR during the surgeries, Can, can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um, I think the huge benefit is like uh, being on site is to directly interface with the surgeons, physicians and patients. It really expedites innovation and we're able to um, provide solutions and products within a short amount of time um, due to that increased access to clinicians and patients. Um, yes, like you mentioned, I, I do fortunately have access to the operating rooms, um, to observe surgeries as a device designer, which really allows me to see what parts of surgery are like the sticking points and be able to suggest new ideas. Um, so I think that's awesome. um, then all of the positions we work with are super encouraging to come down to the OR. They want us to, because they know that they've been in that position where one of us are observing and they're able to see like, you know, would this be easier if we were able to maybe create this device to help you guide this portion of it? And they're like, yes, we would love to, um, love for you to try that so we can, you know, make that easier. It would save, you know, 20 minutes, which is a lot of time in the operating room even. Um, and then the other thing, you know, as a device designer, you're able to see maybe what you developed and came up with, and you can see it in use and see like, oh, I think it would be more feasible for this device to be used, um, to be designed maybe with a handle for positioning a little bit better, because they're maybe fumbling with it with their in their hands, like trying to get it in the correct um, placement on the patient. Um, so just observing as a device de- device designer is huge um so that's i don't know it's it's an incredible experience for sure
2: absolutely and i think that helps a lot because even if you do you've been working uh in this field for a while and so you do have a lot of similar vocabulary with per- medical providers but there's still that disconnect and i feel like it's it's an interesting job we have where we get to do so many different things on a day-to-day basis but also communication is so huge because your provider may come to you with what is in their head and they're not fully aware of what we can do at our 3D printing facility. So it involves you as the engineer, as the person who works in the 3D printing lab, explaining to them what our capabilities are and what types of materials we have and what materials are going to be safer for patient contact and which ones aren't. And so I think that I'm sure it's really beneficial being in the OR because then there's less of that communication gap because you can see directly how the surgeon is using the device that you designed and or the guide or whatever it is they're using that you built. So that must be really cool. Yeah, and kind of,
1: kind of going off of what you just mentioned too, like, um, so a little um, like having you know the material or being on site and having the range of materials or um types of uh, models you can develop you know the surgeon can see an example and be like oh yeah that's something that we want like this feels like what we need so having that direct um contact being able i think um it's a little bit different than a third party who might, you know, meet over Teams or Zoom, you know, and they're not able to totally feel that material until maybe it's shipped in a box to them. Well, they're just able to come up and see maybe even what we're using for an orthopedic surgeon might also work for a cranial mastofacial surgeon. Um, Another thing I uh, didn't mention either was kind of, you know, the, you mentioned what kind of staff is within your, you know, your team and I, So we have, you know, a medical uh, administrative assistant who kind of manages all of our clinical cases. As I say, you know, it's super rushed. So we really need that to help us stay in line and make sure we're reaching all of our due dates and whatnot. But we do also have those um, uh, radiologic technicians who really know like CT imaging, MRI whatnot so they're doing our segmentation we also have three of those that rotate through our unit and then another thing I think is very unique uh, you know um, separate from a third party is having a radiologist um, scheduled to us every day so they're able to review our segmentation and make sure that we're appropriately you know um, having a the vessels, the arteries segmented different from veins because, you know, you know, that can be a little bit confusing on some cases where um, they are highlighted nearly the same on CT. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit different, but it, I think it brings us to be a little bit more accurate with some of the tuber margins we have in the resections.
2: Definitely. Yeah. And I think Both of us, but a lot of times, 3D printing point of care facilities are housed within the Department of Radiology, which is the case for us, and I think believe is the case for you as well at Mayo. And I think that does help a lot. We don't have quite the same level of access, but if we do have any questions whatsoever, we will call up our radiologists, whoever has time on their schedule to come up and take a look at our segmentation. Just because, yeah, like you said, there's so many there's room for error. And especially since at least in our group, none of us are trained radiologists. It is very helpful to have them come up and double check our work, especially when there are complicated segmentations that need to be done or determining tumor margins where sometimes you'll need to overlay an MRI scan, which at least with the software we use here, it's a lot harder to see an MRI or offset that with the CT scan and make sure you're appropriately segmenting the margins of that tumor and do you want to share a favorite project or case that you have worked on or generally what types of cases you like to do
1: yeah um i kind of uh had an idea in mind coming into this but like I think my one of my favorite projects, and maybe just because it was one of the first times I was able to create a unique device from just a surgeon's novel idea, um, this device is uh, being used during facial feminization procedures, which is the surgical manipulation of bony and soft tissues to create a more feminine appearance of the face. Um, but Our um, plastic surgeon came up in between cases and I believe he was in a current facial feminization procedure and he just took a stock 3D printed skull on one of our desks and drew up some sort of design on it. and he was like, this, you know, this is kind of what I have an idea. This is what I would like to be done. This is, you know, why we would need the a device like this. And this is like the gap that we're we have in the operating room. So just from you know, the just 2D drawing on the 3D dimensional, you know, printed skull. Um You know, I was able to iterate through device design, figuring out how to fit the parameters of what he was asking for, like the radius of a curved suture needle. And then we were able to test my device design on a 3D printed skull, um, also used by Jenning. Um, So before bringing that device into surgery, you know, really validate for sure that, you know, this is going to be used in a safe and effective way. But, you know, going through those iterations and just, um, you know, bringing that concept to life um, and then bringing it into the operating room, I was obviously allowed to view it in surgery, which was super cool because the f- um, the first use of it, it worked and it was awesome. And, you know, the surgeons were super enthusiastic about it. And then obviously they had, you know, a couple suggestions on how to make it better. Um, for instance, you know, having um fixation holes to, you know, screw the guide onto the patient, you know, so it's not moving when they're doing any drilling. Um, So I think that was just one of the first times I was able to see like, you know, my efforts in like uh, medical device design, you know, being used in real life and just a completely innovative solution. Um, So super rewarding. How about you? Do you have a favorite project or memory that you've worked on so far?
2: Yeah, I really like doing the simulation models just because those do involve so much iteration with the design or with the provider team. And usually that's a surgical team that comes up, but it's, you know, trying to find the best materials to use to simulate that part of the body or that procedure. And a lot of it too is there are not some of the cases that we see or that requests we have for simulation models here are unique to the military population. And so they may not have as high fidelity models available on the market for providers to practice on, or they may not have access to doing those procedures until they're in, you know, a war zone or in a a combat related area. And so we have had some really cool models that I think are going to be really helpful to the field where the providers can practice before they ever, so the first time they're doing it, it's not the first time they've done it since they were trained in medical school or residency. And that's been really validating for us here, just to have, be able to work with them on realistic models. And we do a lot of silicone molding here as well. And so that gives you different fields of material, especially skin and soft tissue. And we have a printer here that will also print softer materials so you can print things like eyeballs that feel more like an actual eye, and uh, 3D and make molds, uh, 3D print molds that then we pour silicone in for ears or noses, and anything like that. So those are those are always a lot of fun to work on. But I, I think it's really cool going back to the benefit of both of our facilities being at the point of care. Just you have providers that come up, they're like, oh, I need this modified this device or this you know guide or something that they're using to treat their patient they need it modified just a little bit to better accommodate and provide better care for that patient and i think those are always fun to work on as well because you have to be pretty quick a little bit innovative come up with something that will help them help provide better care to their patient so we've had some of those that are interesting where it is there you know they wouldn't have access to something like this unless they had access to us and our, the, uh, facility here. So that has been, those are also really cool. That's, it's very,
1: um, interesting to hear because it's like, you know, I'm more on the clinical side of things and like, you know, doing, uh, creating, you know, patient specific surgical guides and you, you know, find fascination in the like, simulation models, which are super cool. Um, fortunately, you know, the anatomic modeling unit does have a, um, simulation uh, engineer and artist that is able to you know do a lot of the same things you were talking about you know 3D printing molds for silicone um, sculpting and then you know trying to make the most realistic um feels for those task trainers and whatnot um we're using them a lot for the residents that are rotating through um the you know the clinic um so It's very interesting. Another question that came into my mind, though, while we're talking about this, since we're kind of, you know, um, you know, we do, we're both clinical or we're both biomedical engineers in our respective hospital systems. But um, what do you think, like, is your most used technology there? You know, since you guys, you may be, you have a wide range of applications, um, just, you know, off the top of your head, what do you think that you,
2: you use the most? You mean 3D printing? Technology? Yeah, sorry. Yep. Probably VAT photopolymerization on a day to day basis, uh, mostly for our dental models and dental cases. And it's just a good, I'm sure you have them. It sounds like you have them too. It's a good workhorse. You need something quick. You need something that will be just give you a good general idea of a patient's anatomy. That's probably the, those ones are going quite consistently um, but I do think that the the metal what the powder bed fusion technologies that we have are definitely uh, those seem to be the most useful um, for what we're doing here at least give us that extra option of uh, being able to print things in metal and how yeah. about you do you have a is there a specific technology that you're using most on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah, for also with seeing with you, it's a bad photopolymerization. So I think that's very interesting, even though we we kind of have a little bit different focuses. But um yeah, we do a lot of currently, uh, we still do some of our surgical or, or all of our surgical guides in that photopolymerization. But also, like, just like you mentioned, you know, you're able to turn around the printer in a quick amount of time. So we do have seven six of them running nearly every day um which is (laughs) yeah it's a lot but you know we're able to get a lot done we do besides myself there's two other clinical engineers and then as i mentioned we have a simulation engineer and we're all using these technologies you know for our day-to-day work um so and but i would also have to say that i think our second most used would be um, powder bed fusion but on the plastic side so um you know we create a lot of those. uh, I know our simulation engineer, he creates a lot of those molds and powder bed fusion, um, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, we're able to turn those around pretty quickly, too. Um, So it's funny how very similar uh, usage of technologies. So, um, you know, at Mayo, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of cases are rushed, but we also do the simulation models and whatnot. So, we have to like kind of have a pretty robust structure to how we're managing our workflows. Um, One of the things I think is super unique to uh, Mayo Clinic is that our clinical orders are actually tied um, directly to the patient's electronic medical record. Um, So the physician's able to just go to the patient's chart and submit the order for us with some very detailed questions like, do they want an anatomic model? Do they want a surgical guide? And what kind of what's the purpose of those guides or models? Like, are they wanting to see tumor margins? Do they need a trajectory guide for um, maybe dental implants? Um, So that's all submitted through the patient's um, electronic medical record, which then gets directly inputted into our um, manufacturing execution system. So that really helps us take, you know, um, helps us Keep all of our cases in order while also keeping all of the 3D printing data there as well in the post-processing. So it's really helping us track in um, our cases Um, for like non-clinicals, though, we still maintain a separate um, submission site for that internally um, just because we, you know, we're typically fortunately not really billing any of the internal physicians for the non-clinical work that we're doing. Um, so we don't want it to be murky with that, um, but we do submit anything that we print, 3D print, um, uh, for the non-clinical projects into the manufacturing execution system. So we still have a history of everything that's been printed.
2: I feel like that must be really helpful when if you get any reorders or if you get a reorder where the provider wasn't quite as happy with what or they want something different or they want what you did for a previous case but for a new patient it probably makes it easier i would imagine to trace that information and make sure you're getting that provider exactly what they're looking for
1: yeah is it do you have some sort of way that you guys like to manage your workflow there
2: Yeah, we have an internal website that was built for us by our IT folks here. And anybody that has a computer access card, which is uh, issued to most, I think all military folks and civilians and contractors can place an order on our site, but it is closed off to, you know, you can only place it if you are a provider or you have a computer access card. And that comes in and we try, we've upgraded it a bit so we try to get as much helpful information as possible from the provider because there are many times where we do have to then call or email the provider to ask them to provide more details so we really fully understand what they're asking us for and that will come in through uh we'll print that out but we are working right now on tracing all of our manufacturing processes and our work orders from you know from start of design from input of the order all the way through to delivery to the provider. And having something like what you have, I think would be really beneficial for us. We're trying, you know, doing it all by hand and on paper right now and trying to come up with the best way to trace that information. But it can be really challenging to keep track of everything, especially when it is tied to a specific patient or a specific provider. And the provider, we've had times where they come back to you later and they're like, oh, I liked what you did for that case. Can you do that again for this case? And we like, shoot, I don't know if I exactly remember what we did for your first case, so I'm not sure if we can provide, you know, we'll do our best, but we sometimes it involves hunting down information from years ago and uh, trying to find that. So we're trying to come up with a better way to trace all of that information from input of the order all the way to final final design and delivery to the provider.
1: Yeah, that's awesome that you did have your internal IT at least develop you know some sort of a website for you though like that. Um, But yeah, it does get I think a little murky. You know, we did not always have our manufacturing execution system, so I know I've I've dealt with you know the copious like Excel sheets of tracking things and you know any sort of documents trying to say who did what, signing off on what quality control, and you know exactly what you said too, like trying to remember. All well, this physician liked this, but what was that patient's name again? In order to find exactly what we did, it gets tricky. So, yeah, um, it's it's cool though to just um, see that you were you were you know two different uh, hospital systems are able to do you know you know both efficiently work though you know without with and without the manufacturing execution system.
2: Yes, exactly.
1: So I think uh, one of our final topics here, because I think it's something that we kind of mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, is that, you know, we're both young, new to field, relatively new to field engineers. Um, So, you know, I always want to try to inspire those like looking to get into the field or maybe just think this field is fascinating. Um, So do you want to start off with any advice, maybe how to get into the field or how would you if you think you're, you're interested, how would you even you know, know that this is something you'd want to do?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think people come at it from so many different directions. Like I mentioned here, and I think you did too, Tori, that we, both of our facilities have folks that come from a radiology background and not radiologists themselves, but radiology techs. So have that segmentation background. I know one of our CT, former CT techs has a graphic design background and there are others in the medical 3D printing field that came from an art background. So having that creativity and that artistic side is definitely helpful. Um, and of course, many of us are engineers, but you don't have to be people that are coming from a science background, whether that's biology, chemistry, or physics. And I think that that's, I don't know how you would stum- come across this unless you, you just stumbled across it. Like it sounds like both of us did to some extent, but there, the field does seem to be getting bigger people are hiring quite a bit right now I've seen quite a few postings most openings it seems are looking for people with engineering a lot of people are looking for uh, folks who come from like a quality background I've been seeing as well trying to in- integrate the quality management system experience and bring do more of that in their own labs but I've seen things that, you know, just check your local healthcare institutions, see if they have a 3D printing capabilities. I think that the barrier to entry is lower than it really ever has been. And I think that there are companies that are trying to get, you know, lower cost 3D printers to medical facilities so that they can have access to this technology, even if you don't have somebody who, even if you don't have a dedicated engineer, they're trying to get it so that you can, it's pretty easy to set up on your own. Even the, the healthcare professionals can set it up on their own and run it when they need to, just to provide this technology and, you know, increase patient care to patients at their facility, even if they're not some of these bigger names, like where I am at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center or at Mayo Clinic, you know, some of the smaller hospitals, I think are doing this too. I'm sure you have uh, good advice as well, just because you came at this from a different direction and, and know folks that are have have different backgrounds as well.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, it just definitely echo is uh, what you mentioned, though, it's like even the smaller hospital systems, even um, they are definitely, you know, starting to invest in those low cost you know, 3D printers, and they will need, you know, a technician or an engineer or someone with a, you know, that um, hobbyist fascination in it to be able to run the printers for the physicians because they you know, they're incredibly busy. Um, but, you know, one of the things that really helped me get into this field was, you know, reaching out and getting yourself outside of your comfort zone and just, you know, making the connections with those who are, um, you know, paving the way in the medical additive manufacturing field. Um, that's how I got involved. That's how I learned more. Um, that's how I learned even the basics of segmentation. Someone was um you know, um, very kind enough to reach our, answer my LinkedIn message to them saying I was super fascinating segmentation, but I don't really, you know, you can watch a bunch of YouTube videos, but I'd love to see this, you know, done to like a, you know, in real time, uh, without the fluff of a, maybe a YouTube video or an advertisement for some sort of software. Um, and they, you know, took the, an hour out of the day and, you know, watched with me through, um, doing segmentation because that's not something that's usually generally taught at a university when you're getting these maybe engineering degrees or or even if you're like you mentioned an artist, you know, those are super beneficial in this field as well, that creative mind. Um, So I think, you know, connections and networking is huge Um, and just finding a mentor that would be able to maybe guide you or connect you with the right people. Um, the only thing I think would, is a growing area, though, um, for like computer programmers in our field, you know, to start automating more of our day to day work so we're able to, to focus on some of our creative aspects. And I think that's a a gap here, at least at Mayo Clinic, that we're hoping to fill, you know, within the next few years is to get a dedicated computer programmer just to help us um, efficiently function and do the easy tasks within, you know, minutes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to be there's more with interest in AR and VR integration with 3D printing as well. And you'll see that at conferences and you'll see that in job postings too. But I like what you said about mentoring. I think that it's really, I have found that the people in medical 3D printing are more than happy to help answer any questions you have. You can reach out to them. I met my current supervisor. I went, you know, asked for a tour because I was, you know, he knew people that I knew at the FDA. And it's like, oh, I would just like to come and tour the lab and see what you're doing. and even if you're interested in the, in the field, but you're not quite sure if that's really what you want to get into. Definitely reaching out to people and seeing what they're doing, asking for a tour if they're able to give it. And yeah, people have been really accommodating and really just want to, you know, bring in the next group of people and help encourage them to get into this field.